Welcome to the Catalyst Church Podcast. We're here up in Humboldt County, California. We're glad you're with us. We hope that you're blessed and that you find peace and grace in the Word of God today. So take your time coming back. The shortest minute I've ever had. <laughs> it's like, I was going to go make some eggs and bagel. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, Diane, you said great time to break out rooms. It was truly the time. Oh, the, tr- the time a lot of this never long enough. I know. I know. It's, it's just that way every time, right? Mm. Well, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a word of prayer. Yeah. And, and then we'll dive into the text tonight. To, today. Tonight. This morning. This morning. All right, Lord, thanks for being present this morning. Um, thank you for just the, the worship that we get to draw close to you, Lord, whether we're climbing a mountain or in the mountain range or Mm -hmm. in the valley, and we just want to acknowledge your presence there, Um, even when it feels like it's not, um, we we declare it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just pray over your word this morning, and may you just be glorified, and may all these relationships on the screen for now be glorified as well. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, so we're going to be looking at um, the story of Hagar, Abraham, and Sarai. Uh, the last few, we've been in the series, you know, on um, biblical narratives mm-hmm. and... Of the wilderness. Of the wilderness, wilderness yeah, yeah. Wilderness narratives. And uh, so last week we looked at the account of Abram in the wilderness, and he has this... Uh, he has this bold conversation with God, a conversation that involved chutzpah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of this like declaration, this kind of just courageous boldness of him talking to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, and he d- kind of demands from God to show up and follow through on the promises God made to him. Yeah. And, and he essentially tells God, look, here's my situation. And what are you going to do to help me? How are you going to show up? What are you going to do to pull through on your end of the covenant? Covenant, which was, you know, he made this promise about uh, his his lineage, and um, and he, you know, he kind of demands. And what we what we discovered as we looked in the story is that this was less of a demand and more of a dialogue that I think mm. God wanted to have with Abraham. It was like a participation, participation, this conversation yeah. between them. Um, and we learned, that's what we learned about the wilderness is that God wants the conversation. He wants us to dialogue. He wants to bring, he wants us to bring those, those cries and those desperations and those concerns and those joys to God. Mm. Um, so that, um, we might participate with God in in a different kind of engagement, a different kind of engagement. Um, and it was a, it was a powerful thing. Anything you want to say about I mean, I, I just would want to say that a lot of us are feeling that sort of sense of this wilderness that we're in right now, this sense of lack or loss or um, an unraveling that's happening in our lives, even not just like our physical lives, but even like our spiritual lives. There's this unraveling that's happening right now, being distant from the church body, the physical distance from the church body uh, can create like a... An unbalance, like an imbalance in our theology, in our relationship with each other, and sometimes even in our relationship with God. And I think that God is inviting a different perspective through this time of imbalance, wilderness imbalance. Not so much of like a, 
um, not so much of like a, you know, keep, keep trying to get closer to the things that were once the way they were, not trying to get back to the way things were, but actually like a, a movement towards meeting us where we're at and breathing new life into where God is taking us next. So I think that there's this invitation that we have as God's people in this time. I really want to hear you tell me an example of how that works in your life right now. I don't have one. Okay. I'm sure you do, but that's too much on the spot. I, well, I just, you know, um, I can't pull things like that. Yeah, that's, no, that's, that's all good. Um, so the, the story today about Hagar, um, it's, it's a, it, I really like it a lot. And it's, it's got a lot of really uncomfortable parts to it that um, I don't find a resolution um, and I think that's part of what we learn in the wilderness is there, there some stuff isn't always resolved in the way that maybe we think it should be. Um, but that doesn't mean that God isn't resolving something in us mm-hmm. about his redemption and his plan for our lives. Um, and so, uh, normally when you, when we read the story, we hear about the story from the perspective of Abraham, like God following through on the promise that God made to Abram. And forgive me if I go back and forth between Abraham and Abram, the same, same person. Um, just the name change comes later in the story and I, I keep forgetting to, uh, be consistent. So when I say those, that's what I mean. Uh, so the passage that we're doing is, um, Genesis, uh, 16 verses one through 16. And, um, so anyway, so today what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at specifically Hagar from the perspective of Hagar and, what I love about it is this. Um, so whenever I fly and I hate flying, most of you people who know me just know that I like dread flying. So it's kind of an uncomfortable experience. He's period. literally turned around planes on the tarmac. Oh man, it's bad. So okay. It's, so I guess it's a different no, story. Another, another story, another time we'll, <laughs> we'll tell about, we'll tell about that anxiety. But, uh, but my anxiety flows with like milk and honey when I'm in a plane, let me tell you. <laughs> um, so when you're, when you're in a plane, um, and you're flying over, uh, um, the, the Midwest, yeah. you see these, uh, you know, you see these squares, these, um, agricultural pieces of land. And, like you a know, patchwork. Look, yeah. It looks like a patchwork, like a grid. And in the middle of those squares is a circle and it looks, you know, it kind of looks odd. And, and I've always, I always wondered, I mean, years ago, I wondered why there was always circles and I never took the time to research it. And it the aliens, the aliens, they made right? The circles. And it was like, why would the, why would the farmers plant crops in circles? Like that just seemed bizarre to me. And so if you do a little bit of research in the mid forties, there was, there was someone who developed something called the center pivot irrigation machine, which some of you probably know that, um, and essentially they brought the, the well and the water to the middle of the field and they hooked this machine up and then it, it would go in a circle. But when you look down, what you notice is the corners, yeah. the corners have no water on them at all because of the way that the, um, the way the irrigation works. And what I love about the corners is I feel like the wilderness is, is, is a kind of corner. Yeah. I feel like the story of Hagar is a corner. It's this, it's the, it's the part that does not get touched very often. It's, it's often the people who are on the margins. It's often the people who have been excluded. And it doesn't just have to be someone's whole life. It can be, it can be a part of your life that you have felt marginalized with or oppressed from. Or um, it's the part of the story that you don't, you don't tell. Um, and, and I feel like that's part of what we're going to look at today with Hagar's story. Is it's, these, it's the corners. It's the story of what's going on in the corners of our lives, in the corners of other people's lives. You know, when you look at like, when you, when you look at how history is written, history books in general, it is often written by the people in power and people of privilege. 
It is written from the perspective of those with power and privilege. It's written from the perspective of those who are well watered, who have everything that they need, who have this sense of abundance or prosperity in their pockets. And I think what I see here in this story, most of the time when we read the story of Hagar and Abraham, from my experience from different pastors, we hear from the perspective of Abraham, that Abraham didn't live into the promise that God gave him, that Abraham failed, that Abraham was imperfect, that, that God gave Abraham another chance. And so it's often told from the story, even of the patriarch, the wealthy patriarch in the story, um, but I think the story is included of, of Hagar because God is wanting to point to those corners those marginal places, the places where the unseen live, and says, I want to hear the story from her perspective. I want her story to be shared in the midst of the well-watered places. I want to make sure that she isn't forgotten in the storyline that I have, that I'm, that I'm writing out here for you. And so I think it's important that we look at who the story is really written about yeah, and from part, that perspective. Yeah, yeah, and so and so much of in Scripture, it's so important for us to cons- consider the different angles from the different per, uh, characters and yeah. people that God used in, this, in, in, in the text. Um, so uh, you want to go ahead and read it? Yeah, yeah, so it'll be up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn in your Bible as well. Sometimes it's nice to use your Bible and write in the margins and underline things that you have questions about or discomfort from or encouragement in. So then you can go through it later again. Uh, So Genesis 16, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, took it, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Hagar, then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Be'er Lahairoi. It is there, it is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, 
and Abram gave, gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. May the Lord add a blessing to this reading. Thanks be to God. So uh, a little bit about Hagar. So we know she's uh, a slave, a woman, uh, an Egyptian. We're not exactly sure um, how she made it into the household of, of Abram, but um, there's some, some ideas are like when Abram and Sarai were in, when they, um, when they left Canaan, they, because of the famine, they went to Egypt. And when they were in Egypt, it was possible that um, she, uh, Hagar was the daughter of uh, Pharaoh. And, and then Pharaoh loved what, loved kind of the presence of Abraham and Sarai and, and perhaps gave the daughter over. There's a lot of just different scenarios, but I think part of the point is we just don't really know how she made it into that household. Um, but what we do know is, uh, you know, the way kind of the, the way the world worked at that point was if you had, if when Sarai had Hagar as a slave, um, it was Sarai's responsibility. So Sarai did not belong to Abram in any way. It was really, um, just, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You can keep, um, (laughs) I keep getting all these names mixed up. So. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, uh, perhaps Hagar was with them for a while. And so I think there might've been, you know, life happens. And I think there might've been some kind of, um, significant stuff happening in their relationship that would have caused them to sort of behave the way that they did. But the reality is we don't know a ton about their relationship, but we just, we just know that, um, Hagar was, was used in a pretty awful way. And it Mm -hmm. seems kind of like she was used as a pawn. Yeah. Yeah. Like she didn't have any bodily autonomy she didn't have any um possession of her own self she was passed between people in a way she was physically and sexually assaulted um this is a this is a story that for those who have experienced physical or sexual assault brings up a lot of old wounds in in especially in women's lives there's a lot in this story that should make us uncomfortable. I, I don't think we're meant to read this story and allow it just to kind of pass us by as like, oh, okay, yeah, Abraham learned something next. We're meant to sit in the discomfort and the atrocity and the trauma of Hagar. I think it's included for us to, to recognize all of those things um, and not allow it just to like go, okay, well, what's next? We're meant to sit with it, and that's what we want to do this morning is sit with it. So just a quick check-in, if anybody would would be willing to share, um, what are just a couple of few initial thoughts that you have about Hagar, just upon hearing this story, maybe for the first time, or maybe this is the 10th or whatever, 100th time you've read it. Um, what is anything stirred for anybody? And you can unmute, or you can throw it in the chat, whatever you're comfortable with. I think it's also interesting how um, how throughout this whole narrative, Abram and Sarai never call her by her name. She's just known as the slave girl. And so not only is like she has no bodily autonomy, she also has no name according to the uh, according to the story. Anything stir for anybody?
the wrong way. The wrong that she was like that that Hagar is responsible or responsible for Sarai's experience. Oh. Is that what you're saying, Mark? She's blaming Abraham. Uh, oh. She says, "You're responsible." She said to Abraham, "Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering." I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And I don't really understand what that means culturally, mm. I guess. Yeah. 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 I don't think I understand what it means culturally either. <laughs> uh, anybody yeah. have any anybody thoughts about that? Well, I'm glad that we've stirred the pot. I think it's always good. And then Karen said the idea of being given to someone is insane. Can't fathom it. Diane said, I love how she realized how God saw her. Uh, she connected with God in an intimate, caring way in this portion of the scripture. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so part of the background of this story is, I mean, lies Abram in, the, in his lineage. Um, and so you know, the family was like the center piece of existence and having your family line continue on was a very, very important thing. And, um, and there's kind of an interesting element of Sarai maybe stepping outside of the hand, outside of what God wanted, you know, by like, I haven't thought about that before, but just, you know, she kind of takes matters in her own hands in some ways. Um, well, I mean, I think when, there, there's a reason for that. When somebody without power has been then given power through being pregnant, because therefore this is like, this is what Abram wanted, and Abram is the one with power, Sarai has power as well, Hagar has no power. And so when you've been given that finally, or, or when you have an opportunity to seize it, it makes sense that she would do that, that she would try to to elevate herself to a place of... Um, safety of security of advocating for herself in a way that she never was able to do before because now she's carrying a child so she might have a voice in this family yeah like the the power changes a bit mm -hmm. you know there is um what's the word you use she has leverage now yeah yeah um and so i think there's a recognition of of, of her place now um and this was someone who didn't have a place mm -hmm. this was someone you know as a, as a foreigner really had no no say in anything as mm -hmm. you can tell and so she looks back at uh sarai she gives her i think it's like the stink eye um <laughs> it's probably more than the stink probably eye um but we all know that when someone looks at us a certain way with that despise it sticks with you mm -hmm. and and it certainly did that with sarai um so at this point um abram and hagar are technically married right. and so sarai loses her 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 say and then she kind of complains to Abram. Abram's like, well, you know what? Actually, I don't want her. So you you do with her as you please. Um, and then it says, the text says that she dealt harshly with her. And so the word harshly, um, it's it's used a few times in the Old Testament. And it's it can mean affliction. But it's the same word that's used for the, the Israelites being afflicted by the Egyptians when they were enslaved. So it's, it's, it's a pretty harsh word. I mean, it's not just... She pushed her around. I think this was like, she was really kind of, yeah, tormented. I think that's a good, uh, probably a good way to say about it. And you can imagine the sort of uh, trauma that could have been, you know, that Hagar experienced. Mm -hmm. So Hagar, um, you know, so, so I think it's so important for us to really think about 
the perspective of Hagar and how God has worked through that. Um, because I think there's a lot of Hagar's out there and that's not to say that like you experience what Hagar experienced and there. And I think that probably is true as well, but it's that we have those parts of our stories that are really, really difficult and we want to sometimes keep them in the corners. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying we should go display them, but I think that they, um, how would you say it? They should be brought. Well, there's something to be said about the importance of community of people that are safe, that we can share the, the hard parts with. Um, and Hagar didn't have that in the same way. But what we're going to see here in the story is that there is this promise that God has uh, for Hagar. Uh, do you mind if we keep going forward with that? Yep. So, okay, so it, so she's, she's fleeing this place of torment, of unbearable conditions, and she's heading towards Egypt is what we're is what uh, people believe because it's on a specific road to Shur, so it has a sense of going back to where she'd come from. Uh, and she is, um, she has nothing going for her. She is a woman who, if you aren't, if you aren't associated with anybody, if you, first of all, she's already lost her virginity, so she has no authority in that. She has like no right to her own body. Um, if she continued forth in this position, she would be either considered a prostitute and having to sell herself to keep her to keep her son alive or her child at this point. She doesn't know it's her son. Um, she would probably die on the road or be further objected um, towards really horrific conditions. She had absolutely zero prospects in her future. And she's on this road into a place of total unknown. She's met by the angel of the Lord or what we consider even just the Lord uh, himself. And it says here, Hagar, slave of Sarai. So I want to pause there for a second because remember, Hagar has never been, her name has not been used once by the people in her life. She's only been known as the slave girl. And God meets her and says her name. He says, he, he like speaks her identity to her. Hagar. Hagar. And he recognizes that she's attached to Sarai still. He knows that that's an attachment of hers. And so he does call her slave girl of Sarai. But I think God, more than anything, wants to start with our name before, he, before God goes into all those other labels that are attached to us. God names us first. And then God says, where have you come from and where are you going? So, yeah. so, so tell me, so it's God saying, tell me, tell me about you. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about yeah. who Hagar sees as Hagar. That's right. Not so much as like, maybe, maybe where you come from. Like, tell me about Abram and Sarai. But I think it's more than that. We, it, it's, tell me about your entire life. Like, there are points of our lives, friends, that we, that we didn't, yeah, we didn't know Christ. There was a point in each of our lives where we didn't know Christ. Mm -hmm. And there were certain wounds and certain suffering and certain traumas that has happened in our life before we knew Christ. And we can look, it's like, it's like God meets us in that middle in between space. Where have you come from? Where are you going? And we're stuck in this middle space. And God says, tell me about those wounds. Tell me about the suffering. Tell me about the pain and the trauma you've experienced. Invite me into that time when I wasn't there with you or you didn't know I was there with you. Speak truth into that and invite me into it. I want to provide healing. I want to provide cleansing. I want to provide a new way of seeing your past 
in this present space that you're in because I have a new promise for your future. Where have you come from? Where are you going? But it's in this present moment, this in-between, this wilderness lack, this, this corner marginalized place that God meets us in and speaks our name to us speaks truth about who you are in that middle space. And I just, I think that that is so important to who God sees Hagar as. Are there, uh, are there any thoughts that have stirred uh, at this point? Anything that's resonated? Yeah, Karen. Yes, Karen. Well, I would just say that part of the amazing message here for me is that God speaks to you in the corner and speaks your name, and you might not even know that you're in the wilderness. Mm. You might not even know that you're in that corner. Mm -hmm. And that's part of, to me, the amazing touch of God is that you might think you're fine. You might think you're sailing along, you're successful, you've got all the plans in the world, but really in some way you're in the wilderness mm. and God stops and speaks to you and gives you a chance to say oh wait a minute that's right let's look around let's let's see what what it is about my life that I should be remembering and I should be sharing mm. and I should be thankful for yeah I, I just think it's amazing that you might not even know you're in a corner yeah and God speaks to you and says your name and reminds you that he's been there, he is there, and will always be there. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank Preach you, it, Aaron. sister. Preach it. <laughs> Anyone else? One of the things that I notice. So, yeah. Yeah, you're good, Ian. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, one of the things that stands out to me is um, that we're not we're not told that Hagar is even seeking God, mm. but God is seeking her. Yeah. Preach it, brother. We got a sermon going on now. Oh, man, that is what I'm talking about. Others. So the thing that is, like, so uncomfortable... I mean, there's a lot of uncomfortable parts to this story, of course, but the thing that makes me most uncomfortable is when the angel of the Lord says, go back to your mistress and submit to her. It's the part that I can't resolve. Yeah. It's like super uncomfortable. And the it makes it even more uncomfortable because when I studied a little bit more, the, the word submit is the same Hebrew word um, that's used in verse six when it says, then Sarai dealt harshly. That word harshly is the same word as submit. It can have, has a few different kind of layers to it, but essentially go back to that environment that was, a, that was rough. And there, there's definitely been some different pastors and, and uh, religious teachers in our lives and, and maybe in the lives of others who have told uh, women who are in places of abuse to go back to their husbands because God's going to change their husbands. This is not what is going on here. I, I mean, I don't think this is. I think that there's more to the story than we can possibly understand. And also, um, 
when we look at when we look at God's character throughout the Bible, we have to look at God's character as a whole instead of this small bit of the story. Because what we see throughout the, the Old Testament, the character of God is one of justice, one that's very much against injustice, always standing on the side of the oppressed. Um, the, God name, the, the name that God uses for God's self throughout Scripture is this, this hased love, the loving kindness of God, mm-hmm. slow to anger, compassionate, full of mercy. And so we have to read this story not from this God who is full of vengeance, or, um, or like, you know, this woman needs to go back to some sort of horrific situation. I, I have to read it as a God who is full of mercy. And when I, when I mean that, um, is that there's this, that Hagar had no other prospects in this type, town, time. She had, um, she, if she continued forth in the direction she was going, she was gonna die. Yeah, that was that was her her option was the, death or returning. The wilderness of Shur was it's the it's the same wilderness the um, Israelites entered into. It was the very first place they entered into after they crossed the Red Sea. Yeah. Um, on their sort of journey to um, to Egypt, and the text tells us in that part of the story that like they had wandered for days and days and days with no water. There was yeah. nothing to be found. Yeah. Yeah, and so for Claire, she she said, I think it's because she had it was a survival tactic. God wanted God wanted Hagar and Hagar's child to survive, and the only way they could survive at this time, from what we can gather, is to go back. Is to go back. But but she went back differently. So this is part of what you were getting at earlier was that yeah, it's the way you see something with God and the way you see something without God, or That's right. sorry, the other way around. Yeah. The before God and the after God time. So she had something significant had happened to her in the wilderness, which is often a place where those things happen to us. And so she's told to return and, and go back to her mistress. And then it says that the angel of the Lord said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for a multitude. So this is literally this almost the same blessing that we looked at as last week with Abram. Yep. So Abram is a wealthy man. He has lots of status. He's a person of power. He's a person of privilege. Uh, he has all those things going, and he's complaining to God, when are you going to follow through on your promise? And then Of children. Of children. And Hagar's completely the opposite. I mean, completely oppressed person um, and has no status, a foreigner, a slave, uh, a woman, and she is given the same blessing yep. um, as, as, uh, as, as Abram. Abram. And, yeah. and I, just, I just love the way that God works. You know, it's like God, God works... Sometimes I feel like there's so many of us who live in this. I mean, I'll speak for myself. So there's so many times where I feel like God doesn't see me, mm. and and I, and the conversations I have with people, it's about God doesn't. They just feel like they're not seen. They feel like God's quiet. God's on mute. And and I think this is one of those stories where it's another another one of those reminders where God says, "Nah, I see you. Mm-hmm. Like I completely see you, and I and I and I know your name." Yeah. Yeah. The, the important thing about this increasing your descendants that they'd be too numerous to count is God is offering Hagar power. God is offering Hagar her own lineage, uh, her own direction, her own way of being and, and interaction with the world. And then it goes on and, and the angel of the Lord said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. So God is promising Hagar a son. And for, for Hagar, her autonomy is 
oftentimes revealed through the, in this patriarchal sort of way is through your sons. And so God is already promising her her own lineage, essentially. And then it says, you shall give him the name Ishmael. Sorry about that text. You shall give him the name Ishmael. So she, so God is also bestowing upon Hagar the right to name her own child, which was only something that men could do during that time. When when Elizabeth names uh, John in, in the story of, of John's birth, John the Baptist, Elizabeth names John, John, and no one believed her. They're like, no, no, no. That can't be his name. Women can't name children. God is giving Hagar the responsibility to name her child. And then it goes in verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. And when I first read that, I was like, you that is me. not a blessing. <laughs> there is no blessing when, you, when your child is thought of as a wild donkey. Like I've, I've got a few wild donkeys in my family. Right. They, and it is a blessing and a curse. No, you are not. I'm talking about my kids. <laughs> But this one says wild ass of a man. I, I think know. I think that's more what you refer to me as. <laughs> the sense of wild donkey of a man is actually what it means is is a um it, it, it speaks of freedom. Right. That 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 Hagar was a slave, but her child will not be a slave. He will be somebody who is free. And then it goes on and it says, you know, that they will live, he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. And we know this is true. This is, Ishmael is the lineage of the Arab people. And there's been hostility between Israelites and Arabs for, for years. We, we, this, is, this is a very horrifically sad reality. But what we're seeing here is that Hagar and the family that Hagar produces is a beloved family of God. Then and now. It is the beloved family of God. And God says to Hagar, I see you, I affirm you, I believe in you, I am asking you to go back to a condition I do not condone because it will benefit you later. And I know that you cannot see the goodness that's happening right now, but I promise I will be with you in it. And it won't be this way forever. That middle space is one that is often, um, we don't know what's going to happen next. And it feels unnerving, that wilderness imbalance. But it's usually in that middle space. That's where God meets us. That's good. All right, last thought? Last thought is I think uh, sometimes we've got to go to the wilderness. Yeah. Um, because it's there we might find a spring where the angel of the Lord meets up with us to tell us something that we need mm. to hear and that we need to see about ourselves and about God. And Chris says she ends up in the wilderness again, but this time with her son. She and this is, in, this is in Genesis 21, which, you know, she's the only person in the entire Bible that gets to name God. She names God the God who sees me. And then in, in chapter 21, which I just think is the most beautiful thing, it says in verse 19, Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So, the, so, she, so, so she names God the God who sees me. And the God who sees her opened her eyes to see the well, to see that God is the God that provides in places of lack. We were wondering, like, how does this connect with Jesus? Yeah. And I was thinking this week, or I was thinking this morning, actually, about 
you know, Jesus, Jesus spends so much of his time in Matthew, like in the Gospel of Matthew, we read of the, the Sermon on the Mount, which is all about um, what it looks like to come out of a wilderness and to live as a people of God. And Jesus starts the Sermon of the, on the Mount with the Beatitudes, saying that you are blessed, that you are in the right place when you are in that state of lack, of unknown, of, of um, things just aren't quite right. And it says, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So my blessing for us before we go into our time of communion is blessed are the empty, those lacking, those without a name or an identity, those humbled and in the in-between of where you've been or where you might be. Blessed are you on the margins and in the corners, for it is those states and places that you get to see God.